0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Have you ever been wowed or just that moment of awe about God's creation, we would say about nature? I've had the experience of getting to see some incredible sights. I'll never forget being about 13 years old and being overwhelmed by Niagara Falls. If you've never seen it, it's one of those things, pictures can't do it justice. The roar of the water is just deafening. I've also watched these incredible thunderheads. Some of you have been spending some time on the coast. I've been to Texas and Florida, Alabama, and you can just see those thunderheads that look a mile high just moving across the horizon. One time I was playing a baseball game headed to my car and lightning struck a water tank felt like a 100 yards away and I mean it felt like the earth was going to split and swallow me up. It was so powerful. In fact this morning we were talking several of us about just the Buffalo River trips and getting to canoe down these canyons and seeing these rock faces that have been formed uh, by God's creative design. Noah's Ark, I've been able to go on that trip three or four times, and man, being in those rafts, going down the Arkansas River through those canyons, it's just unbelievable. So I want to say to Adam, thank you. To Jackie, you guys get to nap for the rest of the morning. You get a free pass today. Uh, But, man, make sure you let them know how much you appreciate uh, what they have done. And Casey, I think they dropped Casey off in Amarillo. He took a plane somewhere else and be back later this week. So this morning, what we're going to do is to keep that in mind and go to Psalm 29. Find that psalm in your Bible on your device, but also go ahead and mark or find in your Bibles John 6. We're going to hop over there in just a moment. But this morning, we're going to plant our feet in... Psalm 29, and this is a psalm that David wrote as he is watching a storm move across the land of Canaan. He's watching this happen, and God lays it upon him to write Psalm 29. So as David's going to watch this storm move across the horizon, this is what he's going to see. This is what he realizes, and this is what I believe he wants us to know. And it's that what you ascribe to, talk about that in a moment, is what you live for. What you ascribe to is what you live for. In fact, kids, I want your help just a moment. So in verses 1 and 2, I want you to look, and I'll ask you how many in in a moment, how many times David uses that word ascribe. So kids, look those in your notes, underline them in your Bibles. So here's what I want us to know about this word. What does this word mean? Well, first of all, it is a word that means to give weight to something. You're going to ascribe to something, you're giving it weight. But it also can mean value. It's something that you value. You're ascribing to this. So we ascribe weight or value to a lot of things. And some very important and some good things, like we would say we would ascribe to family. That's important. We give weight to that. Uh, God's Word is one that we hold of high value. Friendships. You know, it's something that we give weight to when we ascribe to that. Then there's some things that are a little more tricky. They're good, but if, if we're not careful, we can almost ascribe too much to it. Like money. You know, we all ascribe to it. We all value it. Fitness. A great thing we'd all say. Yeah, I need more of that. Vehicles to get us from here or there. As Adam said, he might not be ascribing too much to that van that he spent eighteen hours in yesterday pulling a trailer. But there are also things that we ascribe to, but not things or possessions, but maybe a status or an idea. You might be someone like me that ascribes, you value, you give weight to, being in control. You like to control things. You ascribe to that. Maybe you're someone that you have ascribed to, I will never be left out of something. I suffered through that as a kid and as an adult, I'm going to make sure that I am never left out. We ascribe to being successful. We ascribe sometimes to no more than others. We want to be the smartest one in the room. Well, here's one I struggle with. It's that I never want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. And so there are things that I know I'm not really good at, so I very much shy away from them. I can't dance. I can sway, but I can't dance. doesn't mean I don't. If we're at a wedding or something, I will dance with my wife, but I don't normally. You're not going to find me just on the weekends because I'm not good at it. Golf is another one. I mean, I'd go out. I'd drive the cart for you. But you know what, I'm not really good at it, so I don't ascribe to those things. But I always want to look like I know what I'm doing. So I fall in this trap of anytime I'm doing something, I need, it need's probably a choice for it, I need all of the latest gadgets and gear. No matter whether it is snow skiing or duck hunting, I at least want to look like I know what I'm doing. So I'll never forget. I thought my doctor finally said, "Man, you've been running a lot. You might want to diversify your regiment here." And I thought, "Okay, I'll do cycling." Don't own a bike, so I go to the store and I begin getting overwhelmed by. Yeah, I can't just wear my normal clothes. I can't have. I gotta have everything. I gotta have the right shoes. You you gotta have the pants that have the built-in padding in the bottom. You gotta have the the shirt. You gotta have the hat, the glasses, and. All of these kind of things. And so here I am at the store about to throw down over $1,000 on gear, and I don't even own a bike yet. So I get home, and I get convicted, and I thought, man, there's no way we can do that. So I had to call him back and say, hey, I'm sorry. I've wasted your time, but you can just put all of that back. But the problem is, is I'm ascribing to something. The problem is Marla didn't ascribe to the same thing. I am spending $1,000 on some gear for the guy that didn't even own the bike yet. So this morning, I want us to look at this idea that what we ascribe to is really what we live for. So here we are in Psalm 29. Let's begin in verse 1 and 2. Here we go, kids. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor. Of holiness, So kids, how many times does David use the word ascribe in just the first two verses? How many? I heard it. How many? Three times David uses this word ascribe. And it's even a command. It's an imperative. It's go and do this thing. And I want to talk about one rule of phrase first because it can get a little cloudy sometimes. And he says... Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. And we could go, oh, well, he's not talking about me. And mine says heavenly beings, but that word can be translated sons of the mighty or also sons of God. So maybe you've got an NASB or a King James. You might have one of those phrases, sons of the mighty or sons of God. And it very well could mean that David is talking about heavenly beings, and that is it. But it could also be that David means sons of God, sons of the mighty, because that term is also used to talk about man or man and women, that he's talking about God's creation. So I'm thinking maybe David actually has both in mind. So David commands the sons of God to ascribe or to give value or to give weight in two ways. Glory and strength. And we're going to talk about those this morning. So here's the scene. David's watching this thunderstorm roll across the land. Its horizon is moving with these clouds and the storm, the rain, the wind. And God's Spirit moves him to write, Give glory or ascribe glory and strength to the Lord. But not once, but three times David writes this. So I'm thinking, what would David feel that he needed to give us the command three times as he watches this storm move across the horizon? What is it about this storm that David writes, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength? Why was he moved to write that? I believe it's because sin has done something very dangerous to our hearts. And Each and every one of our hearts, there is this battle, this war that is going on. I think we could even call it a war for glory. Because whatever glory rules your heart, it then sets the agenda for the way that you live your life. And no one is immune to this. Whatever glory rules your heart at the time. Mine was, I have to look like I know what I'm doing on my make-believe bicycle. So it's okay to spend all this money. And that set the agenda for how I was living in that moment. Let me say it again. Whatever glory rules your heart, it will then set the agenda for the way you live your life. Or in other words, what you ascribe to is what you live Because I think sin does two things here. One, sin blinds us to the glory of God. If you've ever stood at the Grand Canyon, I haven't had the privilege of doing that. But I'm sure you're just in awe of God's creation. In fact, I was talking to Mike Hall. He's one of the pastors downtown. Him and his son last week for his 13th birthday went to the Grand Canyon and hiked. Now, it's 26 miles, but it's not like walking you know, down Main Street. It's 26 miles of back and forth across the Grand Canyon. And most people take three or four days, and they did it in one day. And he's got some stories about how he felt after that that I can't even do justice. But I I haven't seen it, but I'm sure you stand there and you're just in awe of God's creation. If you've ever seen the geysers at Yellowstone, hope to see that one day. You're probably filled with a deep sense of God's creativity and his Glory, Or if you've watched the sunset over the mountain ranges of Colorado, you can just get blown away by the majesty of God's creation. But let me ask you, did you see God's glory this morning? Where you woke up here in East Texas? Or even this week, were you blown away by God's creation in your normal activities? And I would have to say, sadly, no. We have busy schedules, lots of duties, dirty laundry, meals to prepare, yards to mow, endless kind of mundane tasks. And we often live blinded to the glory that is everywhere around us. So Sin can blind us to the glory that's there. But sin can also cause us to replace the glory of God with other glories. And we will begin living for those. But it's like this, we, we don't do this, but standing at Niagara Falls, I'm standing there, I'm not thinking as I'm watching these hundreds of tons of water roll over these cliffs and send spray hundreds of feet in the air, I'm not thinking, you know what, Ozarka really makes great bottled water. You know, if you're standing there on the beach, somebody just got back and you, those thunderheads, you know they're so tall and they're just as white as could be, you don't stand there and think, you know what, white cloud toilet paper sure is soft. And so we don't do that. We don't substitute those kind of glories. But sadly, we replace God's glory often for our own. That we see it and we make it about us. And so I want to show you this in the Scripture. I jump over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, beginning about verse 14. It's where Jesus is going to do one of His very famous miracles. He's there and he's going to feed 5,000 and it counts the men. And so probably well over 10,000 people are here and Jesus is going to feed them. And you read it in verse 14. So he takes the five loaves and the two fish and he feeds all of these people and everybody's in awe. Beginning in verse 14, it says this, that when the people saw the sign, when they saw this miracle, notice what they did that he had done. They said, this indeed is. Is the prophet. This is Jesus. This is him who has come into the world. The one we've been waiting for. They know who he is. Perceiving then, knowing then, that they were about to come and to take him by force. And notice what they were going to do. They were going to make him king. You think, man, that sounds great. They know who he is. They're going to make him king. So Jesus sets up his throne But no, look what he does. Jesus withdrew again and went to the mountain by himself. So they see him, they recognize him, they want to make him their king. Why in the world does Jesus run and hide? Why does he withdraw from them? Why would he leave them? Well, the answer is in verse 25. In verse 25 to 27, they finally come to him and they said, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So the reason he withdrew is because they wanted to make him king for all the wrong reasons. For the selfish ones. They wanted to make him king not because they saw he was worthy. But because their bellies were full. They wanted to make him king not because they saw him as deserving. But because of the benefits to themselves. They made His glory about themselves. And get this. Wanting the blessings Jesus provides is not the same thing as believing in Him. Wanting His blessings that He provides is not the same thing as believing in Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in communion this morning. So, Jesus came to give them more than just earthly bread. He comes to give them heavenly bread. Then later, we see the tragedy that happens in verse 66. It After this, and we're going to talk about this strange phrase that Jesus said, when he'd said this, many disciples turned back and walked with him no longer. So, in this chapter, Jesus is saying that all the physical signs, whether it's feeding over 10,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish or healing a leper, causing the sky to explode with colors, the stars in the sky, an incredible mountain range. This is what he's saying. All physical glory was created and ordained by God to point us to the true glory that can only be found in relationship with God. And they were exchanging God's glory For another. And it was their own. So with that truth in mind. Let's go back to Psalm 29. And pick up at verse 3 through 8. Because David is going to describe the power of God. But he's going to really narrow it down. Not just all of God's power. He's going to focus on just God's voice. In verse 3 it says. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. So God is speaking to us through His creation. He speaks through the waves of the ocean, the thunder of the storms, the sound of trees as the wind moves through them, through the movements of the animals, through the flames of the fire. And what a powerful description. In fact, 11 times David mentions the voice of the Lord. Think about that, that the Lord, through his voice, created everything that you know. Everything that you see, he spoke, and all of it came into existence. And that is how powerful God is. And notice in verse 9, notice the command that God's voice has. It's, at one point, it is very tender, and then at one point, it holds all power. It says, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth, and it strips the forest bare. I think he's saying that God's voice controls all life. from the young deer that even the trees obey His command. But let's put that in a little bit of contrast. How many things actually operate under your command? Or my command, and we might think, well, at least our children, or maybe sometimes, you know, we can bark an order and they do it. You know, I think that's why we love Alexa and Google, is we like the ability to say, "Hey, play some song," or "Add something to my uh, shopping list." And we love, or we ascribe, we give weight to being in control. That's what we value. That's what we live for. We love. Being in control. We love to say something and it happened. But you know, when you think about life, all the things that we try to control, we want to control the way our children turn out. So we put all these safeguards in place. And we give weight and we ascribe glory to all those safeguards. We want to control what people think of us. so We ascribe to this and we try to control what they might think, we want to control what others do. We might even think that we are in control, but they're only illusions. In fact, the list of things, if we were really honest, the things that we really had command over is probably very, very small. So when David sees this storm rolling across the land, I think the thing that he knows. And I think it might be the only thing that he knows as he watches this and he realizes, I have no power over this. This storm is going to move as God wills. That there is nothing that he can do about that storm. But then he recognizes the one that does have the power. That's actually, I think, great. News, Because the power that that we get to live in and the power that we get to live by is not our own. And that's actually a great hope. Because think about if it was up to us. In all of our limited power. But the one that we know and we love and we serve, he holds all the power. And I think David is in awe of that knowing there is nothing I can do to make this storm move this way or that way or stop it or send it back, but I know the one that does. But we as his creatures, created in his image, we get to rely not on our own power, but we get to rest in his. So I think David, he then does something really spectacular. When we think about God's glory and you think about the power that God holds, To create all that we get to experience and to see. That his voice is obeyed from the young deer that even strips the trees bare. They can almost get to the place where God seems untouchable. And the truth is that he is. God is completely untouchable. We can never get close enough to God to have a relationship with. Or to even maybe rest in his power. You could never get close enough to him to do that. So then he does something for us. Look at the end of verse 9. And in his temple. So there's this image of God's created this temple. And look who is there. All cry glory. So I think David paints this picture of God's temple. A place of holiness and power and glory. But then you see who is all there in it. All cry glory. So the entire message of the Bible from beginning to end is all about God making a way for us to have acceptance and access to Him. That God has used not only His power to create the canyons of the Grand Canyon, the waterfalls of Niagara, the sunrises and the sunsets, He uses His power to make it possible for you and I to dwell in His midst that God chose to make himself accessible and visible. So then David gives us one final word picture in verse 10. He says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Those two things that the Lord gives His people, He gives you strength and He gives you peace. And these words are so interesting that this word strength isn't like the picture of this this, uh, burly, this this strong, this, this human strength. That word means fortitude. It's where we get our word fortress. It's a strength that comes outside your natural ability that you get to rest in. It means that his children, we no longer have to go through life hoping we can figure it out. Hoping that we will do enough. Hoping that we can have enough strength. It means that we actually get to give up trying to be in control and trying to be in charge. Stop trying to control everything. And we get to rest in his fortitude that he gives us and then when that happens you know what you find you find peace when we find this strength we get to stop trying to be in control and then the beauty of it happens you realize oh there's a peace that i have been chasing peace is this calmness of heart a restfulness of your heart but if we try to stand there and control the storm you know what happens We will be filled with anxiety and fear. You become timid and afraid, unsure and insecure when we try to control the storm. So as your friend and as your pastor, I'd like to ask us, what are you ascribing glory to? What glory right now is commanding your heart? Because there's a war of glory going on, whether it's, I don't know, financial success or certain things, maintaining a certain image, thinking that we all have to have the Chip and Joanna life. Or maybe it's just the power and control itself. I know there are people here this morning, because listen, I am one of you. Our lives are often filled with anxiety. They're driven by fear, controlled by the own voices that we listen to in our heads. But I think we all need to hear David's command this morning to run to the glory of God because sin has put such confusion in our hearts about what glory can really fulfill and satisfy us. Because life on this side of eternity, I believe, is just one big glory war. Because we, whatever we ascribe to, whatever glory we are after, it's what we live for. And we all have glories that we are focusing on. We all have glories that are trying to win our focus. We all have glories that are trying to pull us away from the only glory that can satisfy. And that glory is found only in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want us to ascribe glory to the only place that can give us true life, and that's Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, He came into this world to live the life that we never could. And He died the death that we deserve. But He also came into the world to free us from the slavery of all the wrong kinds of glory. He lived not for His own glory, but a singular focus for the glory of His Father. And then He welcomes you and I to come to him, to confess our struggle, to find forgiveness that only he can give. And that happens by believing in Jesus. But we need to be sure what that actually means. Because if we're not careful, we can end up like the people in John 6, where many people were following him, but they were following for what he could only do for them, the fill of their bellies, their own glory. Many stopped following because Jesus actually said something in chapter 6 that was strange and hard for them to believe. In verse 53, Jesus looked at them and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. Now, i be honest, that's a strange saying. I mean, talks about cannibalism. But Jesus is saying, when you read the whole chapter in context, you realize this. Jesus is saying, eating is believing. Drinking is believing. That Jesus promises an abundant life to those who do not just want the blessings Jesus provides, but are believing in Jesus. They're not after their own glory. They're after they're believing in Jesus, is believing that his death, the breaking of his body, the spilling of his blood, pays the full penalty for your sin. And that his perfect life, his perfect righteousness, is freely given to you in exchange for your unrighteousness. So believing is how we eat and we drink Jesus. That is why Jesus, I believe, instituted the Lord's Supper, is... He did not want us to forget the very core of what we believe. So this morning, I'd love for us to remember and to practice taking Jesus' life, taking his death, taking his resurrection as our own. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.